What's up, everyone? In today's episode, I'm going to discuss the incomparable love and joy that a new puppy brings. The sweet little puppy kisses, the snuggles, and... Ah, who am I kidding? In today's episode, I'm going to share my survivor story at hosting a terrorist in canine form. Now, to provide a little background, the kids have been asking me for a dog since before they were born. Seriously, I'm pretty sure it's what they were dreaming about in the womb. Hell, maybe as far back as the ovaries. I would guess that most of those early cries and vocalizations were attempts to utter those five words that should strike fear in the heart of every father. Can we get a puppy? Tim and Sarah had the exact same sequence of first words. Mama, Dada, and Doggy. Jackson was the only one who said Dada first, then Mama, then Basketball. Kidding, though his third word was, oddly enough, Eyeball. But he's a case study for another episode. No, no. Today's missive is about our beloved German Shepherd puppy, Vendetta. In her defense, before everybody gets all up in arms about it, she's a really, really good dog. Or, at minimum, she's really, really good at being a dog. I'm not entirely sure which it is, not having grown up with one. Suffice to say, all of my dog exposure was ancillary in nature. Nearly all of my friends had dogs, and so, while I was around them, being a kid, I wasn't really paying attention to them, nor did I have to tend to them in any way, shape, or form. Most of the dogs were old, and they seemed only to lounge around. Occasionally, I'd see them get up, walk over to their food bowl, eat a little, and then plop down in a sunny spot somewhere else. But that was really it. See, this is where I think it all started to go wrong for me. This fallacy of docility. I'm pretty sure that when my brain filed the information for such a pet under D in my mental Rolodex, it wasn't just for dog. I had this false notion that a dog was sweet, kind, and calm, rather than a spiteful, thieving tornado of teeth. For years, I was adamant that we would not be getting a dog. My wife had said that she always wanted one of those tiny-ass ones, like a Yorkie or a Pomeranian. I said that they were furry footballs, and in the extremely rare event that we ever purchased a pet, it would have to be a real dog. Plus, I had heard horror stories about how ferocious and territorial the littler ones could be, how they would claim their person, much to the disappointment, detriment, and danger of everyone else in the household. Now on paper, that sounds pretty badass, Papa's little protector sitting at the foot of the bed, but, again, furry football. An intruder could just punt that little fucker straight through the uprights. No, no. Any dog of mine would need to be of worthy stock and stature. I had always loved huskies because, in my mind, they were the closest things to wolves, which I've always really loved. The thought of owning a sort of wolf was appealing, but I heard that they were incredibly high energy, needy, and neurotic. When I saw a video of a husky that had absolutely destroyed this guy's apartment literally chewing the door to bits, that was the end of that. Still, somehow, somewhere along the way, the seed had been planted that maybe we could get one, one day. In my mind, it would be more about the kids having a childhood pet that they could look back upon fondly. Still, I recognized that, even if it was for them, it would 100% become my responsibility, and for the longest time, I just wasn't able to entertain that. Having one, then two, and then three kids to take care of, all while trying to establish a writing career among all of the other life things meant that I just didn't have the bandwidth. But, and there's always a but, isn't there? Sometime around last Christmas, I realized that the kids didn't need quite as much caring. The writing wasn't taking up nearly as much time as it should be. And despite having an uber chaotic sports schedule, it might actually be doable to bring a furry friend into the mix. That and me realizing that next year, Tim will be going to high school, Sarah to middle school, and Jackson to upper elementary. In short, not much time left for them to have that childhood pet. 
And so I finally started to consider seriously the notion of pet ownership. Like I would any major purchase, I set about conducting a bunch of research. And while I respect anyone who chooses to rescue animals, I knew that I wanted to go through a breeder, to buy new, as it were. Sure, I might get a lemon, but there's laws in place to protect against that kind of shit, you know? Plus, fewer problems with a brand new puppy than a dog with some miles already on it, right? Right? <laughs> yeah, well, we'll get to that in a moment. When I let it slip to folks that we were planning on getting a dog, the first question was always the same. What kind? Now, I knew I wanted a bigger dog. So many of my friends had golden labs, chocolate labs, or golden retrievers growing up, and they were all awesome dogs. Our friend Zach Leach from Hoop Lab, in fact, has one, and Apollo is one of the coolest dogs that I've ever met. But that was just it. I didn't want a dog that everyone else had. I also wanted one that would be as much of a people deterrent and security force as it would be furry family friend. I was basically down to two options, a Rottweiler and a German Shepherd. To my knowledge, I've been around only two or three Rottweilers before, and they were both incredibly intimidating by appearance and utter mushballs by demeanor. I thought of them as being like the stereotype of a shotgun. Just hearing the slide rock back on one, in theory, is enough to deter a would-be trespasser. Maybe the sight of one or the low, rumbling growl of a Rotty would be the same. But, if I'm being perfectly honest, they are still scary-ass dogs, and with the kids still being on the younger side and me not knowing jack shit about how to train a dog, I decided that it wasn't worth the potential risk of harm, not just to our neighbors, but really to any of us. A German Shepherd, then, checked every box. Great family dog, built-in home protection. I mean, if they're good enough to work with the police and the military, then why not us? Capable of keeping up with me on my 5-10k to 10K hikes, loads of playfulness and energy, super intelligent, and intimidating appearance and growls. Done deal. And so this past winter, I began my search for a reliable breeder, preferably one located in New Jersey. I had heard all kinds of stories of people driving to the ass end of upstate New York, western Pennsylvania, South Carolina, or beyond, just to pick up a dog. It wasn't just that I didn't want to make that kind of round trip. It was more if things didn't work out, I wouldn't want to have to make it twice. Fortunately, the research revealed that there were three viable options, all within the state of New Jersey. Two of them seemed to focus more on show breeding, of which I had no interest, and the third had plenty of videos of training for home defense and police work. I decided to give Carlos Rojas at Jägermeister German Shepherds a call. The next thing I knew, I was sending over a pair of deposits, one for a male puppy and one for a female puppy. We would take whichever one became available first, with the latter seeming to be the most likely. A few months later, in the middle of recording a podcast interview here at the house, funny enough, I got the phone call that he had a puppy ready for us. All of a sudden, shit got real. It was still a few more weeks before I would go to pick her up, but on the day that the entire New York metro area looked like Mars thanks to the Canadian wildfires, there I was, heading over to Carlos's compound. To say I was nervous would be an understatement, but I was also excited. Like I said earlier, I had never had my own dog, certainly not one that I would be responsible for. I spent about an hour with Carlos going over a bunch of logistics and asking as many questions as I could. Then, the next thing I knew, he was walking me back to the car and sending me on my way. It's funny, because I had the same kind of incredulous surprise as I scooped Detta up and placed her onto the towel I had laid out on the front passenger seat, as I did when Heather and Timmy were discharged from the hospital a few days after he was born. It was like, wait, you're really going to let me drive away with this delicate, perfect, tiny little creature? But drive away we did, like a modern-day Han and Chewie. Now, I could get all emotional here and talk about how we imprinted upon each other, how that was the genesis of the alpha bond being built. But where would be the fun in that? No, no, no. Instead, 
let me tell you about all that I've learned about the truth behind puppies and dogs in general. I'll save the sappy stuff for the end. Many well-meaning people gave advice in advance of me picking up the pup, but nearly everything that they told me were lies. Lies. I'd like to think that there's some sort of secret society centered around dog ownership. Whenever a new sap gets picked up on the radar, the members of the cabal get together and figure out the best ways to fuck with them, getting their hopes up or setting unrealistic expectations. Maybe I'm just the puppy proby and this is a part of my hazing, Tacoma FD style. Move over, McLovin. Here comes Mickleberry. Either way, the bill of goods I was sold from these pet owners was a fraudulent one, and so I'm here today to set the record straight and to share the real deal about puppies. To keep it streamlined and focused, I'll do a myth-reality sort of deal, covering about a dozen of the most important ones I can think of. Myth number one, far and away the most prevalent and persistent one I was presented with. It's just like owning a newborn. Now I remember my kids' infancies like they were yesterday, all three of them. They were some of the most gratifying, thrilling, and tiring times of my life. It got easier with each one, and I think the biggest stressor, at least initially, was the uncertainty of being fearful not just that I wouldn't know what it was that my baby needed, but more so that I wouldn't be able to figure it out. Parental instincts are real, though, and as expected, it all got sorted out. I look back fondly on the overnight feeding shifts I took so that my wife could get rest, spending the midnight to dawn hours with this amazing little miracle on my chest, feeling their soft breath against my skin. It was magical. Reality number one. A puppy is nothing like a fucking newborn human baby. A puppy, at least an eight-week-old one, has teeth, a lot of razor-sharp scimitars that they use to explore their environment. An eight-week-old baby, typically, has zero teeth, and even if it does, it sure as shit isn't using them to explore anything. Human infants are also immobile. Puppies are perambulatory to the extreme. If anything, they're more akin to toddlers and the terrible twos than, as I've been told, newborns. And seriously, what the fuck kind of demon children were you raising if you're sitting here saying that a puppy's just like a baby? Sure, they're adorable looking, they tend to sleep a lot, and you've got to tend to their bathroom needs, but that's pretty much where the comparison ends. Now a toddler, on the other hand, requires near-constant oversight. I know they call it baby-proofing, don't get pedantic on me now, but it's not until they hit toddlerdom that your little bundle of joy begins to turn into Sonic the Hedgehog, motoring towards every sharp corner and picking up everything that they shouldn't. That brings me to another reality. We'll call this one Reality 1A. Puppies have an innate instinct and impressive ability to find the one thing that they're not supposed to have, and to retrieve it so quickly that you won't even have time to register that it's in their mouths. More on that in a bit. Oh, and just like toddler proofing, see, there, I fixed it. Puppy proofing is, in essence, an exercise in futility. No matter how good of a job you think you do, that dog will find the one spot you missed and attack it with impunity probably just to rub it in that you fucked up. To that end, reality 1B. Dogs love rocks because, of course they do. Why wouldn't they be attracted to one of the most abundant things in nature? Ones that, when swallowed, could potentially harm them and set you back thousands of dollars. Detta made it quite clear, quite quickly, that she would find every single stone, leave no pebble unchewed, all across our property. What's the big deal, you might be asking? Just pick them up and move them where she can't get to them. Now that's fine for some of the larger ones, but when you have, you know, several metric tons of decorative landscaping rocks around the pool or the patio, it becomes a Sisyphean task. That's not to say that I didn't try. Oh, no, 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 no. Within reason, I went around and picked up every last one that I could find. But that leads me to reality 1C. 
Dogs are like truffle pigs, only instead of nosing up deliciously expensive morsels, they unearthed stones you never even knew were there, resting just below the surface, or a hell of a lot further down. I came out the other day, in fact, and saw a huge chunk of ground missing near a downspout. I looked and found at least twenty substantially sized stones, almost lined up as if to say, hey stupid human, thought I wouldn't find these. So, yeah, a bit of advice out there to the science folks who were trying to reach the mantle. Stop with the diamond-coated drills or the space lasers. Just tell my dog that there are some juicy stones waiting for her down there, and she'll dig straight on through. She might make it all the way to the core and pop out on the other fucking side. To recap, puppies have teeth, they steal things, and they eat rocks. Newborn human babies do none of these things. Okay, on to myth number two. Dog toys. Supposedly, there are toys that are designed for dogs to play with. Now, in this reality, dog and human child are aligned. They much prefer inanimate objects, things they ought not to have, or literally anything other than that which you purchased for their entertainment. The trope of a child being just as happy playing with the box the present came in holds water with both species, with the primary difference being that dog will also try to consume said box with the aforementioned switchblades they keep hidden in their mouths. And on a related note, myth number three, puppy kisses. And we've all seen the videos, those awe-inducing moments of sweetness where the tiny furball nuzzles up and licks away with its little velvety tongue. The reality? Those goddamn teeth. Sure, you might get suckered into lowering your defenses momentarily when dog seemingly demonstrates some affection, but before you know it, she will be chewing the shit out of you. It's just like making out with someone new where it's all hot and heavy until the fangs come out. Forget teaching your puppy sit and stay. The first thing you need to do is establish a safe word with your little doggy dominatrix. It's funny because I can almost remember a time, feels like a lifetime ago, where I used to be afraid of being bitten by a dog. If you think about it, being comprised of about 60% fluid, we're basically walking waterbeds. With the amount of punctures that I accrued in those early days, I'm amazed I never sprang a leak. Myth number four. Dogs are super sensory creatures, capable of detecting even the slightest scent from miles away. Okay, maybe this one isn't so much a myth as it is a misconception on my part, but I always sort of assumed that dogs came prepackaged with ridiculous senses of smell, where they'd be able to tell when someone was lurking, alerting us to an intruder based purely upon their scent signature. Based on this, I assumed it would be impossible to sneak up on or startle a dog. The reality is, you can absolutely scare the shit out of one. Seriously, it's just like with the children. You can lie in wait next to a wall or behind a door, jump out, and go rah. I suppose the only real difference is that you run the risk of getting your face torn off like a guest at Gordy's birthday party. Huh? Did you get the reference? Nope. And seriously, don't go and scare dogs. It's not kind. Okay, moving on. Now myth number five. Dog's instincts have been honed through tens of thousands of years of evolution and domestication, living alongside people folk. They're hunters and herders who exhibit the same behaviors their ancestors learned in the wild. The reality their instincts have absolutely been updated and modernized. Rather than knowing how to hunt that rabbit in the yard, Dog instead has developed the ability to discern the most inopportune time to have to go to the bathroom. Oh, you're making homemade bagels? The ones with the super sticky dough? I will rest by your feet and keep you company, sleeping serenely right until the moment that your hands are completely covered in said dough. Then I will disappear, only to rematerialize by the back door with a grunt informing you that it is now time for me to go. Dog will also come barreling into a room, particularly one with which they have low familiarity, and immediately locate an object they should not have, 
It could be a remote. It could be an article of clothing. It could be anything that they could fit into their mouths. And Dog will, with preternatural speed and grace, get this object into its mouth and abscond with it at a pace theretofore unwitnessed. It does this, I believe, for the entertainment value of watching the human-shaped ape give it chase, flailing its wacky waving inflatable limbs as it utters indecipherable syllables. Now sure, most of the words that the human is saying seem to start with the letter F and end with the letter K, but as a dog, linguistics are not really a preferred field of study, so it's probably in their mind just good dog, or wow, you can't teach speed like that. Myth number six. Big dogs are goofy, lovable mushes who love their families equally. The reality. Dog does indeed love each of us separately. But what she does not love is seeing me and Sarah showing affection to one another. Detta and I have our own thing going where she clearly recognizes me as the pack leader and her alpha. It's been great. She doesn't care if I hug the boys or sit with them on the couch, but she must view Sarah as some kind of threat because man does it get ugly quick. The second Sarah and I embrace, or if she comes and lays on me on the couch, Vendetta lives up to her name. She will have none of it, and will literally chase Sarah off. And when I say chase, I don't mean shoo her off. I mean intimidate the shit out of her until she relents and finally vacates the space. And Detta is such a dick about it, to the point that Sarah is now developing a complex. At first, the dog would just drive the child off, and then promptly take her space nearer upon me. Eventually, though, she decided that this wasn't even enough, and when Sarah would move to another part of the couch, Detta would get up, give me a look that said, I'll be back for you in a second, and then go over and make Sarah move again. Only when the child would abandon the couch, defeated, sitting on the floor usually in tears, would Detta return to my side, staring at me with those beautiful brown eyes full of malice and judgment. The last time it happened, Detta actually drove Sarah all the way back into her bedroom before she came back to the couch jumped up onto it, and no fucking joke, kicked me in the throat as if to say, don't you dare. In the parlance of the times, she's a stage four clinger with a bit of an electric complex, but she's daddy's little fur angel. Myth number seven. Dogs are afraid of loud noises like fireworks and thunderstorms. Reality. Dog gives zero fucks about decibel levels. The bigger the boom, the less impressed she will be. She will not react whatsoever to a raging maelstrom outside, to a 4th of July sky party, or an obnoxiously loud truck or motorcycle. She'll sleep through all of that shit. But you know what she won't sleep through? The nearly indiscernible sound of any part of my body leaving the couch and approaching the floor. You might remember me mentioning that Dog is a stage 4 clinger. She can be in a dead sleep anywhere in the house, and the moment I decide to head into the bathroom, if I open the door when I'm done... I will find her lying on the floor, just outside of it, gazing up at me as if to say, You left me. I should note that I learned very quickly, very early, that I cannot allow Dog to enter the bathroom with me. To be fair, the first time it happened, I had closed the door, but hadn't secured it evidently. I didn't even hear her open it. She's got that stealth mode thing down to a T. No, the only way I was alerted to Dog's presence in the room with me was when I looked down and saw her head protrude quite suddenly right in between my legs, right into the stream. Now, we don't kink shame in this house, or yuck anybody's yum, but I was definitely a little unnerved by how into it she seemed, so I guess we can add Europhiliac to the electric clinger bio. But anyway, Dog will follow me anywhere and everywhere, no matter how tired she is. I feel bad sometimes, because she'll be lying down in one room, and I'll pass by to get something, say, from the kitchen, and she'll follow me, plop down, and then get back up and follow me back again into the living room. 
She does this seemingly without complaint, but still, I'm left feeling like I'm somehow disrupting her rest cycle. And that's where that superpower kills me. Now I would imagine most dogs sleep soundly, but mine seems to have the Chuck Norris gene. She doesn't sleep. She waits. I'll play with her in the living room, tire her out, watch her go and lie down on the couch, and I'll sit and wait for her to be immersed in dream. Now this waiting period can last for a few minutes or upwards of an hour, me watching her pensively, trying to choose the moment where my egress will go undetected. It's a fool's errand, to be sure, because the truth is, it doesn't matter if I wait 30 seconds or 30 minutes, dog will know the moment I try to escape. I can sit there and play the guitar as loud as I want, no reaction. I can jump around on the couch to my heart's content, pretending I'm an Olympic gymnast. She won't bat an eye. But the second my sock starts to make its southerly descent towards Carpet Town, boom. Awake and alert, ears perked, eyes pinned upon me, ready to detect any and all movement. Moving on. Myth number eight. Dogs are happy creatures who entertain themselves and enjoy life's simpler pleasures, like chasing their own tails. The reality Dog is a highly emotionally intelligent being born with an insatiable lust for attention at all times. She follows the same routine, but is also capricious and will punish you for not meeting her ever-changing needs. Case in point, I awaken each day and know that if she's not in her crate, within seconds of my feet reaching the floor, I will hear her bounding up the stairs, waiting to greet me. I can't lie, it's a really sweet way to start my morning. The moment I open the door, she's all over me, smothering me with mostly toothless kisses, leaping about excitedly as if we'd not seen each other for a decade or more. The moment I get downstairs, though, no matter how bleary-eyed or exhausted, that's when the real terror begins. Typically, she'll beat me downstairs, and before I can even make it into the living room, she's already got a ball in her mouth and is ready to play. Now I can already hear the eyes rolling. If you can't find the energy to play with the dog, then you shouldn't get one in the first place. It's just a game of fetch. Except it isn't. If I could just toss the ball... Have her run off, retrieve it, return it to me, and drop it again and await the next throw, I'd be golden. Instead, I have to pry it out of her fang-filled mouth as if I'm trying to escape one of Jigsaw's painful punishment puzzles in a Saw movie. Then, I'll toss it, and at least initially, she will go tearing off after it. The problem, though, is that when she returns, she won't always bring it all the way back to me. No, 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 no. Instead, she'll stop a few feet away and plop down onto the ground pinning her eyes upon me. She will keep them there, watching me, waiting to see what I will do. Should enough time elapse with me not making a move towards her and the ball, then the whining will commence. See, it's not enough for me to play with her. She wants me to want to play with her. And so I'll get up, or if it's still really early, crawl with one eye open over to her. Sometimes, when she's feeling merciful, she'll allow me to try to pull the ball out of her mouth while remaining put. Most times, though, as I get close enough to reach out. Then, and only then, as my fingertips approach the blue rubber surface of the sphere, will she rise with amazing alacrity and trot over to a spot that's just far enough away to be a pain in the ass. Once more, nestled into the plush pile of the carpet, she will watch and wait, beginning the cycle anew. This is, however, only when she wants to play, inside. We have the fortunate, unfortunate pleasure of owning a nice piece of property in a temperate climate which means she has the opportunity to gad about in the backyard, basking in the summer sun. She knows that if she stands and vocalizes by the backsliding door, that we will assume she needs to relieve herself, and we will let her out. She knows, too, that we're not willing to take the risk that she's only faking a bathroom desire, seeking instead to engage in an outdoor play session. 
I'm sure if she really wanted to, she could devise a separate set of sounds, one for bathroom use and one for playtime. But she's clearly got us so well trained. Why ruin a good thing? I don't blame her. Now, do I enjoy playing outside with my dog? Of course I do. She's a fun, energetic companion, and it's entertaining to watch her chase soccer balls and frisbees. But I say this with no hyperbole whatsoever. There is no end to her desire to play. She has not yet said, even a single time, I am sated with this fun. We can return to the large crate now with the many rooms. And I don't think she ever will. Now it's tempting to say that I can just leave her out there to run about as she pleases, but I would be remiss not to remind you of her vindictiveness. If she senses that she is being ignored, the first thing she will do is go rock hunting, or otherwise find an edible-sized twig or other bit of refuse that she will bring with her into my line of sight before plopping down and going to town on it. If I attempt to approach her, and she knows I'm going to take away whatever it is that she has, then she'll promptly get up and trot away, ears pinned back in victory, speeding up or slowing down as needed to ensure that she remains just out of reach. If instead, I seem like I'm prepared to resume the game, and I mean seriously, the second I pick up that fucking frisbee or ball, she will drop whatever it is and be locked in on playing. I told you. Terrorist. Myth 9. Dog food. Supposedly, dogs have food designed just for them that they love to eat. The reality? She will scarf down her own shit faster than she will ever empty her bowl. No joke. I didn't know it was possible for a pile of turds to disappear as quickly as it has when I've watched my dog wolf one down. I should have named her Dyson instead of Detta. But yeah, dog is unimpressed with the quite expensive nutriment provided for her. She would much rather boiled chicken, peanut butter, or literally anything else, which brings me to my final myth. Myth number 10. Dogs can eat anything. They're like little garbage disposals. We've all seen it. The scene in the sitcom or the movie where the kids surreptitiously palm off whatever foodstuffs that they don't want off of their plates. They put them onto their laps where the family pet hiding beneath the table patiently awaits and gobbles it up greedily. The reality is, well, I guess just that. Dogs are like little trash pandas, omnivorous gluttons who will eat anything they can get their lips around. The problem, though, is the sheer volume of shit they're not supposed to eat. Seriously, listen to this list. It's unbelievable. Things dog cannot eat and the damage that eating such things can cause. <clears throat> Onions, garlic, and chives. Gastrointestinal irritation and red blood cell damage. So there goes 99% of what I cook because I'm a huge granulated garlic and onion powder user. Macadamia nuts. Musculature and nervous system damage. Avocado. Can cause vomiting and diarrhea. Xylitol. Can cause hypoglycemia. The only brand of gum that I chew is sweetened with xylitol. I can't tell you how many times I have taken a piece, forgotten to wash my hands, and there's dog licking my fucking fingers and me freaking out that she's going to become a hypoglycemic. Grapes and raisins. Those cause liver damage. What the hell? Oh, and you know, chocolate, which has all kinds of deleterious effects on the dog. Now after all of that, I suppose that the biggest myth of all is that I wasn't sure I'd like having a dog. The reality is, she's my ride or die and has been from the moment I took her home. Sure, she drives me fucking crazy sometimes, but it's almost never really her fault. A lot of the frustration that I've had over the past three months stems from my own shortcomings as her protector. I've been fortunate to have had a lot of success raising human children and teaching kids of all ages, whether it's sports or actual subject matter, but that makes my failures with Detta all the more difficult to swallow because I feel like I should be doing better. 
I feel like I should know how to get the results out of her that I want, because again, it's not her fault. Whatever it is that's happening isn't her being bad. It's her being a puppy, and me not knowing how to handle the situation. I've made plenty of mistakes already, and I'm sure that there are way, way more that I'll make ahead. But it's definitely been getting better. We're getting used to each other. We're finding our pack dynamic. She's already finished her first full week of doggy boot camp over at Carlos's compound. It's kind of cool that she might even get to see her mom and dad while she's there. Either way, I'm sure her time with him will help to smooth out some of the wrinkles and the snags that we've had, which means that we can focus more on enjoying our time together. Sure, the days have been chaotic at times. Her perfectly appropriate desire to play isn't beholden to my human schedule, and I try my best to be accommodating, but it doesn't always work out that way. And when we go out for walks and she's basically dragging my ass all around town, it's frustrating and physically exhausting. But at the end of the day, with her energy finally expended, when she comes trotting over to me, hops onto my lap, and falls asleep on me, I'm transported back to those magical newborn nights, the ones that seemed like they'd last forever, where it was just me, my little one, and the quiet. Now, my oldest baby is a hundred some odd school days away from heading to high school. My baby girl will be on her way to middle school. And my baby baby will be entering fifth grade in the upper elementary school. If there's one overused saying that really resonates when it comes to parenting, it's that the days are long, but the years are short. I see that now, and so I'm embracing this time and the time that I have with Vendetta. We'll have our ups and downs, our fun and our fights, but it all goes by fast. Hell, probably even faster with her since we're talking dog years. And so I will cherish those chances to sit and stroke her soft, velvety ears. Oh, so soft. And I'll play as much catch and fetch with her as I can, all while soaking up those awesome greetings, whether it's the first one in the morning or when I come back from the gym or the supermarket and she acts like I've been gone for a lifetime. Because the truth is, nothing lasts. Not the good nor the bad. Sometimes we find ourselves in negative situations that we think will go on forever, but they almost always won't. At some point, things will get better, or at least change. The same goes for the happy times, though. No matter how hard we fight to hold on to things, no matter how much we might want our kids to stay little forever, or for friendships and relationships to last, at the end of the day, all we have is the present. And so that's what I'm focusing on now, more than anything. Actually being present, in the moment. Not just for my kids, but for me too. Because we get only one shot at this journey that we call life. And with so much to enjoy, so much to experience, I'm not about to let a single second slip by unappreciated. You never know what tomorrow might bring, and life is too short to live with fear and regrets. So take those chances. Say yes to the things that make you uncomfortable or nervous, whether it's taking that first step towards a lifelong dream or recognizing that it's finally time to add that new furry member to your family. You'll be glad you did. And as always... Thanks for listening, wherever and whenever you are.